0: In addition to the Matthew 21 text we read at the start of worship, you'll note in your order of worship that John 14 is also part of our worship experience today. I invite you, as you're able, to find that in your Bible and to stand for the reading and the hearing and the blessing of God's holy word. The gospel of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, according to St. John, listen for the word of the Lord. Do not let your hearts be troubled. Believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many dwelling places. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again. I will take you to myself so that where I am, you may be also. And you know the way to the place where I'm going. And Thomas said, Lord, We don't know where you're going. How can we know the way? Jesus said, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you know me, you will know my Father also. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks Thanks be to God. God. You may be seated. Well, we need to pay homage today to a, a true servant of the Lord. Um, he's never attended a single worship service here in, in the sanctuary or even given a penny to this church or been on a mission trip. He's, he's not attended Wednesday night supper or participated in, in a Bible study, but he's been a servant of the Lord for a little more than 34 years now. Um, his name? Taco the donkey. You got it. Taco the donkey. <laughs> That's exactly right. Well, Taco has retired, and um, we owe him a great deal of gratitude. He had one job, and he did it unto the Lord with all of his might for so many years. So many generations of Christians have had the Palm Sunday story come to life because of Taco. We will miss him, and we wish him a fabulous retirement in the greenest possible pastures beside still waters until he's called home to the barn of the Lord forever. But there's good news. There's an interim donkey who made an appearance today. It was, maybe it was an audition, I don't know yet. That donkey, yet to be named, at least for today, had a couple of names on the table, now that Taco has retired. Somebody threw out the name Frito, and Dorito, and Nacho, but it's a little fella, so Burrito, Seemed to be the name of choice. Now, I was going to auction off the best parking spot uh, for for Easter next Sunday by who had the the best name. But Griff, as I've learned his name was, is now officially Burrito, the little donkey, who will be with us on Palm Sunday unless we can find a new taco. I don't know how that works. (laughs) I am grateful for those who carried on the taco legacy. And I'm also grateful for the the 30 or so members, our worship team, uh, under the leadership of Nancy Lee, who made these exquisite palm crosses that we wear today. Donkeys and palms, they help us with the story of Jesus' triumphal entry. But I hope we'll pause long enough to ask what Really was going on 2,000 years ago outside the great city. It's more than just palms, more than just colts and donkeys. Today's worship service. You know, it began with a a reading of Jesus' triumphal entry according to to Matthew's Gospel. And, And Matthew's Gospel is interesting. It says that Jesus actually came in on a colt and a donkey. Now, we know He's Messiah and can do some pretty incredible things, but standing on a colt or riding on a colt and a donkey at the same time, I mean, I'm just saying, that's pretty impressive. He hitches a ride on the back of borrowed transportation and riding into Jerusalem is the rich history and prophecy that he inherited as part of his story. The religious onlookers knew exactly what he was doing. It sounds mundane to us at the start of Holy Week, but there's something quite profound, really, about tying together Old Testament realities with new possibilities. It is entirely through the Jewish faith, as we know, that Messiah was born and reared, and and it remained through God's first called people that the identity of Jesus, the proclamation about who Jesus is would be given to the world through borrowed livestock and the shouts of Hosanna and palm branches. They became a shroud that wrapped Jesus in Israel's story of salvation and redemption, and restoration. You even have this Son of David piece. It's not a genealogical shout. It's, it's not comparing King Jesus to to King David. They're two different kinds of kings, as you just heard uh, Jason talk about with the children. They're calling him now something different. They're calling him Messiah. Something else that the religious leaders, the political leaders would have hawkishly watched as Jesus entered the holy city. In this triumphal entry, every eye is focused on Jesus. Every ear is listening acutely to what he will say. It's more than just palms. It's more than just riding in on a donkey. On the front end of of this Holy Week, people lauded Jesus. And on the back end of the week, they will mock and ridicule him. Crowds do that. They change when Messiah isn't who the people thought he would be. And it only takes a few persuasive voices to turn a crowd from Hosanna to crucify. Isn't it amazing what can happen in a week's time? I hope you'll come back Thursday and Friday to hear how Jesus responded. I guess if there was a single motto attached to Jesus' triumphal entry during Passover, when the world converges on Jerusalem, it would be this, something will change. Something has to change when lives become in close proximity to Jesus Christ. There's too much at stake for it not to change. Matthew tells us, I don't know if you heard this, Matthew tells us that that Jesus entered into Jerusalem, which was a city in turmoil. Did you hear that in the reading earlier? It's in turmoil. And the, the Greek word for that means the city was shaking, was quaking, trembling. The city was trembling. Jesus rode into that holy city while tension levels were on the highest alert. The government wanted to know about this new king, so Jesus pushed into the government with a new kind of kingdom. The religious leaders, they just kept looking for this gotcha moment to see if he would break one of the 613 laws. And Jesus just kept pushing in there saying, no, just keep loving people. Keep healing. Keep bringing people closer to God. The crowd wanted to overthrow the government. The disciples were confused. They were all over the place. They thought maybe this is the insurrection moment where Israel will be restored to its glory days, but but Jesus kept riding forward. He kept his eyes focused on his mission. Not an agenda, but a mission. There's a big difference. He kept riding forward into the future knowing that every breath and every word and every deed and every action and every bit of silence later in the week and every inaction early in the week would come under extreme scrutiny. And he just kept writing and inviting people to go with him all the way. So Palm Sunday and Passion Week, they have sort of embedded in it with all the religious and the political turmoil, embedded within all of that is some good news that Jesus... He just will not shy away from entering tumultuous situations because something needs to change. Jesus doesn't shy away from entering life's moments where the ground shakes beneath our feet a little bit because the truth is the entry of Jesus Christ into hard human stories is earth-shattering, always. So who is this Messiah? who would ride into an edgy, anxious, shaking city. Who is this Messiah that breaches the city walls of our own chaotic hearts? Now make no mistake, if you stay with the gospel readings throughout the week, you'll see that one of the first things Jesus does is he goes to the temple standard practice during Passover week. He goes to the temple, and he becomes quite perturbed, doesn't he? All these travelers came from all over the Middle East to make their sacrifice for Passover, and currencies needed to be exchanged. And so those exchanging the currencies would profit on the backs of common families who couldn't afford a a couple of doves or some grain offering, much less anything larger. Jesus saw what was happening. He started flipping tables. You remember that? And in John's Gospel, he fashioned a whip, and he started doing this great shepherd thing, this good shepherd thing, and running people out with a whip. And I think that sends a message for this Holy Week. Jesus is entering the the city. Jesus is entering the human heart because something has to change. Some tables need to be flipped over and to be cleansed because the heart is where God wants to live and where God deserves to dwell. We're not really designed to live in in chaos or in turmoil. The Bible tells us that over and again. It's the very first story out of Genesis. There was darkness, there was chaos, and God did something about it. The story of Easter is the same way. The story in Revelation, all the way through, is the same message. We're not designed to live in chaos and in turmoil and to be shaky and unsettled. Jesus Christ keeps writing into your life and into your story and into the church. And the ground should shake at the thought that God will not give up on us. He just keeps writing and inviting us to follow Him. And He'll never relent on forgiving us no matter how often we don't forgive ourselves or others even though we're commanded to. What do we do with a king who keeps coming down the hill and into our valleys and up into and over the city walls of our hearts again and again and again and again? Will will we stay the same? Can we stay the same? Or will we be changed from anger to kindness from hostility to peace, from revenge to generosity, from brokenness to forgiveness. Because today we're called to follow Jesus the Christ through Holy Week all the way to the cross where the old self must die so that something new can be raised to life. I love this account in John's Gospel because it begins differently. It begins with the story of generosity. It begins with the story of, of a changed human life, Mary. Disciples were, they weren't They were exactly happy that Mary took off the top shelf this costly perfume. It would have been about a year's wages, and they said, you, she broke it open and, and started washing Jesus' feet with it. You remember this story? They said, you could have sold that and given it to the poor. Jesus said, you'll always have the poor with you. But what this woman has done is she's, she's made an identity statement because her life has changed. Outward expressions of generosity are how people know that Jesus is in your heart inwardly. So she wiped his feet with her hair at such a tender moment. And from that point in John's gospel, Jesus walks, and he, he just looks from Bethany atop the Mount of Olives. And he, from there, there's a wonderful vantage point of Jerusalem. And he sees the city that he loves so much. It's just in chaos and turmoil. And he begins to weep, begins to weep over his zip code, over the people that he loves because they're crossed up. And on one side, he's got this crowd shouting, save us, and really the better translation is, save us now. (laughs) And on the other side, he's got Roman occupation coming in to keep the peace, and there's synchronized marching and metal clanging, this convergence of two parties. What kind of Messiah is this? What kind of crowd is this that would go from hail him to nail him? I can't help but think that at the heart of this Palm Sunday and Passion Week story lies the same gospel message that we read over and again, and that is with Jesus, things will change. And because of Jesus, things will change. It might not happen on our time or in our way, but proximity to Jesus changes things. The disciples are recorded and the crowd is recorded as saying, who is this? He starts riding into the city. Who who is this? That's an identity question. Jesus has been giving us his identity over the past few weeks. I'm the bread of life, I'm the light of the world, I'm the good shepherd, I'm the vine. And Thomas says, Lord, how do we know the way? He says, I am the way and the truth and the life. And no one comes to the Father except by me. In John's gospel, this is part of the farewell discourse. These are Jesus' parting words to his disciples. He says, I'm leaving you. And they begin the process of of grieving because something is is being lost. And when something is lost and we begin grieving, there's stages of grief, if you know the Kubler-Ross model. We go into denial, or either we get angry or we bargain or we become depressed until ultimately we, ex- we accept it. It's basic stages of grief. And so if you follow the narrative throughout this Holy Week, and into Passion Week, you'll see that the d- disciples deny it. No, you're not. What do you mean you're going to prepare a place? We don't believe that. To anger, you know, like Peter cuts off the ear of Malchus in the garden in just a few days. He's angry. This isn't happening. What do you mean this, this isn't happening, Jesus? Judas bargains, doesn't he? They go into a depressed state because they're they're locked behind closed doors. It's only in light of resurrection do things change. So Jesus says, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father but me. And and I'm so glad Jesus clarified that. I really am, because we like to say, I am my own way. I make my own truth and I can sustain my own life. No one comes to the Father unless I say they're worthy enough. We, We do that. You know the old hymn, it goes like this? Have mine own way, Lord, have mine own way. I am the potter, bless your heart, you are the clay. You know that song? We we don't sing it quite that way, do we? You are the potter, I am the clay. Holy Week causes us to say what undoing of that needs to happen. If we're called to follow Jesus right to the cross following him in sacrifice. And that's the irony because in John's gospel, he says, let not your hearts be troubled. (laughs) Yeah, right. It got you killed. You're going to ask me to follow you? And it got you killed? How's that not troubling And you're telling me that following you will make me sacrifice? Yep. And you're telling me that that means we're going to have to do the hardest things ever in order to maintain unity? Yep. And, and then you're going to tell me that following you all the way means that I have to forgive? Uh-huh, you're getting it. And that following you means that my ideas of, of truth are held in light with the reality that you are the truth. Bingo. And that following your way and your truth will mean that I have to let go of my life so that someone else's life may be redeemed or letting go of my shame so that you can redeem that too? Uh Uh-huh, ding, 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 you got it. So down from Bethany he rides to show us that following him as the way and the truth and the life is the only way to the Father. Holy Week tells us that we're going to bump into people who love us and despise us, those who think like we do and those who don't, and we're called to keep on walking, to keep on sacrificing, to keep on serving, to keep on loving them all as we have been loved by a Messiah who showed us His way and His truth. On the one social media platform that I still check occasionally, there was a wonderful sequence of statements building up to Palm Sunday this week. And I loved it. It said, if you, I, if you have to attach any label or, or precursor or prefix to the word Christian, then we're probably doing it wrong. Specifically with progressive or conservative Christian, we need to worry less about whether or not this party or this campus says something that I like or similar, and instead say, does this sound like Jesus? Is it His way? Christianity doesn't need a a prefix. It it needs people who will stay in love with God and practice the fruit of the Spirit and care for the neighbor and, and forgive wrongdoings, and lay down swords and use better words. And that starts here. It starts here. If our theology needs a prefix, but doesn't lead to greater love of neighbor, then it's time for an adjustment. Maybe we're not following the way, and the truth, and the life. Thomas Merton said, our job is to love others without stopping to inquire whether they are worthy or not. I'll add, if we just love people and don't worry about if they're on our side or with us or in our camp, because Jesus never wavered on his way to Jerusalem. He never checked credentials. There's no entry exam. He didn't ask for a voting card. He didn't ask for denominational affiliation. He just said, all people are invited to life with God through me. That's a mission. That's what His identity means for us. We walk the way of the cross, the way of forgiveness, the way of cheek-turning and peacemaking and foot-washing and bread-breaking, the way of doing hard things together and laying down this need to be and to have our own way and to be our own truth and sustain our own life. So I want to ask you a question. What do you hope to get out of Holy Week this year? Are you hoping to be seen or to be heard, or to be forgiven, or that Jesus will be on on your side, or to be certain, or to be confirmed. Because maybe those hopes, as we enter into this holiest of weeks, align us with being on Jesus' side of listening and seeing and forgiving and humbling ourselves and hopping down off Jay's high horse, to get on the donkey, whatever his name is. Because if it's good enough for Jesus, it's got to be good enough for us. It all begins with the King of kings and Lord of lords who wept and rode and cleansed and forgave and comforted and fed and washed and died and rose to something new. Easter is coming. There's a rising that's coming we have a few more steps to take first. It'll lead us straight to a cross where so much love was poured out for all the junk that we can't do on our own. And when I think about that, sometimes it causes me to tremble. Tremble, tremble. Welcome to Holy Week. Amen.